Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't know about you, but when I stepped outside of church this morning into the beautiful sunshine and felt the warmth of the sun's rays, I couldn't help but think, oh, this is so nice. What a beautiful day. It makes you want to hold on to those beautiful fall days before the real cold winter hits. Now, I know that it's clouded over now. It's not as beautiful as it was, but maybe that just drives the point home even more, that there's something in us we want to just hold on to those beautiful last fall days before winter comes. And it's good to do that, to savor uh, that last bit of warmth. It's a gift from God. But perhaps that feeling also brings up another thought in your mind. Maybe you want to hold on to those beautiful days of fall so much that you start to develop a negative view of something like the Lord's Day. After all, here we are again in church on the Lord's Day, and we're sitting uh, inside. Maybe we could be doing other things. Maybe in your heart of hearts you wish you could be somewhere else, somewhere that might seem a lot more enjoyable to you. This afternoon, we're studying the fourth commandment from Scripture. Maybe you wonder, well, why, why did God give this commandment anyways? What's His purpose behind it? Well, this afternoon, we want to see again that God did not give His commandments to harm us in any way, not at all. As it says in 1 John 5, verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. And that includes the fourth commandment. See, God desires to bless His people. And this afternoon, we hope to see that He really does bless His people also through a right use of the Lord's day. And that brings us to the sermon theme this afternoon, which is as follows. God blesses His people through a right use of the Lord's day. And we'll look at, first of all, our attitude towards the Lord's day, and second of all, God's blessings given through the Lord's Day. So, first of all, our attitude towards the Lord's Day. Now, in many areas of life, your actions will reveal your, your attitude towards something or someone. Think about a person's job. Your actions in connection with your job reveals your attitude towards that job. If you rarely show up to work on time, put in only half an effort and show a high level of carelessness on the job, or it reveals a bad attitude towards that job. The same thing can be said about someone's car. If you wash your car regularly, faithfully change the oil and perform routine maintenance, and then drive your car carefully, it shows you value your car. Your actions reveal your attitude. Well, you know what? The same principle applies to the Lord's Day. How you use the Lord's Day, your actions on the Lord's Day, reveals your attitude towards the Lord's Day. And not only that, your actions on the Lord's Day actually reveals a lot about your attitude towards God and also towards the church. And we can extend this even further to include all of life. What are your top priorities in life? What do you focus on? What kind of goals do you have in life? 
What are your ultimate desires? Well, how you use the Lord's Day reveals a lot about the answer to those questions. It's good to ask, is your life centered on God? Do you desire God's kingdom to come? Do you love God's word and love God's people? And do you you yourself want to grow in faith, in hope, and in love? If the answer to these questions is yes, then I can pretty much guarantee you that your use of the Lord's Day matches the description of Lord's Day 38. That especially on the day of rest, I diligently attend the church of God to hear God's word, to use the sacraments, to call publicly upon the Lord, and to give Christian offerings to the poor. Now, when he gave the fourth commandment, God commanded his people to keep the Sabbath day holy. Now, we could get into all kinds of details about what type of work is allowed and not allowed, but let's focus on God's desire in the fourth commandment. What was the Sabbath supposed to be for the people of God? How did he want them to view it? Well, we can answer that by first pointing out what the Sabbath was not supposed to be. The Scripture gives numerous examples in this regard. For example, in in Amos 8, the prophet chastises the people for saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale? You know what the problem was? They viewed the fourth commandment as a drag on their lives, something that got in the way of making money. And not only that, but when the Sabbath was over, they cheated their neighbor by acting deceitfully. Another negative example is the example of Cain. Well, of course, this example is not about the fourth commandment directly. Cain still displayed a negative attitude towards worship. He he viewed offering sacrifices to God as a chore that needed to be done rather than an act of faith. And when the Lord did not accept his offering, he became angry. We could carry that same negative attitude towards the Lord's day as well. To cite one more example, we could think of the Pharisees. They tie the people of Israel up in knots with all their extra rules about what was permitted and not on the Sabbath day, rules that God did not command. And yes, God commanded his people to rest from their work. But the focus was not just on a lack of physical exertion. The seventh day was meant to be devoted to God. God's people put aside their regular work so that they can focus on worship. And the Pharisees' extra rules hindered the very worship God desired from his people. So what is the right attitude? Well, I would say the type of attitude God wants His people to have towards the fourth commandment is found in Psalm 92, a wonderful example. Look again at the heading over Psalm 92. It's a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. And when you go through this psalm, what do you see? 
There's no hint of a pharisaical spirit at all. There's no sense that keeping, keeping the Sabbath is a downer or a burden. Rather, you see someone who views the Sabbath as a joy and a delight. You see someone who views the commandment as a gift from God. A golden opportunity to worship and to pray and to rejoice. Listen again to the first four verses from his psalm. It's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your love in the morning, your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, make me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. This is someone who is maximizing the day of rest and worship to the glory of God. He declares God's praises throughout the day, in the morning and in the evening. He focuses on giving God glory and praise. And in his heart, he loves God and has learned to love God's wonderful works. The picture described here in Psalm 92 is what the Lord Jesus describes to us in John chapter 4. In that chapter, Christ is speaking with a Samaritan woman. And at one point, they begin talking about worship. And here's what our Lord Jesus says to her. He says, The hour is coming and is now here when, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And this is what Psalm 92 is all about. Read through it. This is someone who is worshiping God in spirit and in truth. The type of worshipers God's des God desires. This is also what God wishes, wants from us on the Lord's day. So this leaves us with a number of things to consider. This picture of the fourth commandment calls us to guard the Lord's day. You know, there's so many things that can creep in to push out the worship of God. That's why also God commanded His people to rest. They could put aside their regular work and focus on the Lord and His goodness. Many activities might call for your attention, but none are nearly as important as the ones described in Lord's Day 38 and those found in Psalm 92. So remember to guard your Lord's Day. Make sure it's devoted to God. Use what it's designed or use it how it's designed to be used for worship. Not only should we guard the Lord's day, make sure that nothing takes it over, but let's also aim to maximize the Lord's day. View it as a gift. It's a gift to be used fully for our good and for God's glory. What an opportunity to grow in faith, to grow in fellowship, to grow in love. So maximize the Lord's day. And that brings us to the last thing to do. Let's aim to develop a love for the Lord's Day. 
Do you, do you have that? Do you love the Lord's day? Or do you view it as a burden, as a, as a downer? Well, Psalm 92 describes the best attitude to have. Let's aim for that. Now, perhaps at this, you might feel a little bit conflicted. And maybe you know what the right attitude is, but you don't always feel it in yourself. That can happen. Maybe you have a hard time rejoicing in the Lord's day or struggle with desires for other things. But here is where we can turn to God again. Remember also, as we study the Ten Commandments here in the Catechism, that we're looking at them through the lens of our thankfulness. We are still imperfect worshipers. The struggle against the old nature continues also on this point. So that should lead us also to prayer. Why don't you ask God to give you the same attitude as the psalmist in Psalm 92? Right, ask Him. You can pray that directly. Lord, give me this same attitude. Pray for the Holy Spirit to work in you this Desire to worship God in spirit and in truth. Besides, even if you don't feel this all completely in your heart, knowing what the right attitude is towards the Lord's day can still guide your actions. You can say, I'm not always feeling it, but I know this is God's desire for me for the Lord's day, and so this is how I will then act. And to help us further in this, we can also focus on the blessings God gives us people through the Lord's Day. That will uh, what, be what we look at in our second point. So one reason we should be eager to guard our Lord's Day, to maximize it, and to learn to love it, is because God bestows so many blessings through a right use of the Lord's Day. We could mention many blessings here this afternoon, but today we'll focus on the ones described in Psalm 92, since that's our reading. And when we go through that psalm, there's a number of things we can gather from it. Using the Lord's Day rightly, first of all, helps to fix our vision of the world. Now, what is, what are our hearts so often pulled towards? Our hearts are so often dominated by the here and now, the things of this short life. And so often we can view life with a this-world-only perspective. And life then becomes all about chasing your best life now. Realize, however, this is short-sighted. And according to Psalm 92, it's a foolish perspective on life. Listen to verses 6 and 7. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. See, what are so many people in this world doing? They're trying to push eternity out of view. God has placed eternity in our hearts. People want to push it out of view and just focus on the here and now. And so they reach for riches and power and fame. And many never reach their goals, but even if they do, it all ends up for nothing when death comes. 
It's a foolish perspective on life. The problem is we're not immune to this sort of, of living. It's easy to get caught up in this perspective where all you think about is your life here and now. You do not think about eternity. Where career and money and houses and marriages and vacations and so on, while not bad in themselves, dominate your heart. But a proper use of the Lord's day is meant to fix our vision. It's through God's word that eternity is brought back into view. We refocus on the true purpose and meaning of life. And God's glory and God's kingdom catch our attention again. Without a proper use of the Lord's day, these things would quickly fade from our view. So that's the first thing. The proper use of the Lord's day also allows us to regularly hear the gospel of Christ. The good news of Christ is meant to be proclaimed week in and week out in the church from this pulpit as well. And coming to church regularly means we will regularly hear about what the Lord Jesus has done, how he laid down his life for us, how he took our punishment upon himself so that we would not have to suffer, how Jesus Christ has fulfilled the whole law for every believer, and how he has reconciled us to God by his grace. And this gospel of Christ also includes a proclamation of Jesus' victory over our enemies. Enemies such as sin, the death, and the devil. Listen again what we read in Psalm 92. For behold your enemies, O Lord, behold your enemies shall perish. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. And we hear the downfall of our enemies such as sin, death, and the devil through the gospel. And we need to hear this good news of Christ regularly. That's also because we are prone to doubting. And even if you don't face doubts right now, we must take heed lest we fall. If you're not regularly fed with the gospel of Christ, sooner or later Satan will spot weaknesses he can exploit. And he will insert doubts into your faith, and hasn't a faith that hasn't been regularly strengthened by God's word. And we should ask, who are we? Who are we? We are weak people. The Bible says we're sheep. We're prone to wander and to stray. We are people who need to regularly hear from God's Word, be strengthened week in and week out. And we need to hear the gospel regularly so that we persevere in the faith. Think for a moment about the parable of the sower in the gospels that the Lord Jesus told. In that parable, the seed represents the Word of God. Some of that seed fell on the rocky soil. It received the word with joy, but because it had no root, it quickly withered away when trouble or persecution came on account of the word. Some seed fell among the thorns. 
The person received the word of God, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth choked out the word, making it unfruitful. And using the Lord's day rightly, so that we also gather here each week in God's church, it will help us to be the good soil. As it says in Lord's Day 38, doing this lets the Lord work in us by His Holy Spirit. It equips us to avoid the pitfalls of the seed that fell on rocky soil that fell away because it had no root in itself. Or the pitfalls of the seed that fell among the thorns that was choked out by the cares and the pleasures of this life. Instead, through regularly hearing the Word of God on the Lord's Day, we persevere in faith to the end of our lives. And not only persevere, but flourish as Christians right to the end. Just listen to how this is described in the last part of Psalm 92. The righteous flourish like a palm tree, grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They're planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They're ever full of sap and green. How do these believers persevere in the faith right to the end and flourish as God's people? It says here they are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. As we saw in the sermon this morning, in the Old Testament context, this referred, first of all, to the tabernacle and then the temple. And it's not that these believers in Psalm 92 stayed at the temple all day, every day, although there are examples of that. Think of the prophetess Anna from Luke chapter 2. She certainly flourished right to the end of her life. But these believers, regular people of God, they followed faithfully God's instructions for the temple worship. God wanted His people to gather for worship in Jerusalem regularly. Faithful believers would do this as God commanded. And not only that, but the temple was their spiritual center of gravity, so to speak. It's where they met God. It's where they heard the gospel. And they drew their spiritual life from the things of the temple, God's presence, the sacrifices, the instruction from the priests, the prayers that were offered up. It's how they were changed and how God worked in them. This allowed God's people of old to flourish as believers. They were still full of spiritual health and life right to the end of their lives. God, of course, had plans to replace the Old Testament temple with something better. He's going to instruct or construct a new temple. And this would cause God's people to flourish even more. We read something of that in Ezekiel 47. We read there how a huge river flowed from that new temple. The water brings life wherever it flows, causing trees to grow, even making the waters of the Dead Sea turn into fresh water. And in the new covenant age, which we are in now, this prophecy is first of all fulfilled in Christ and in Christians. 
That's because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the temple. He said as much in John chapter 2. We as believers, like living stones, are joined to him. So the church forms the New Testament temple of God. And out of Christ comes living waters, the rejuvenating work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does this work as the gospel is proclaimed. He takes the merits of Christ and applies it to them by faith, uh, to us by faith. This is what the Lord Jesus says in John 7. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This life-giving work of the Holy Spirit happens within the church, which is the New Testament temple of God. Here we have come together on the Lord's Day as that temple. How do New Testament believers continue to bear fruit in old age? How do they stay spiritually healthy? Well, they regularly came to church on the Lord's Day so that living waters of the Holy Spirit might flow within them. And it's by that work of the Holy Spirit that we bear the fruit of the Spirit. It's by the Spirit's work within the church we grow as Christians. You know, maybe sometime, ask a faithful believer near the end of his or her life what the secret is to flourishing as a Christian right to the end. And I'm convinced that you will undoubtedly hear things like this. You would hear about the importance of using the Lord's Day rightly, guarding it, maximizing it. You would hear about the need to plant yourself in the New Testament temple, the church of the living God. You would hear about the utterly indispensable Word of God, which gives life by the Holy Spirit. Using the Lord's Day rightly is the key to continue growing and producing fruit as Christians right to the end. Guard this day, maximize this day, rejoice in this day, for God bestows so many blessings through it. Amen. Let's now sing together from that same psalm again, Psalm 92. We will sing stanzas 4, 5, 6, and 7.